Welcome to the 24-week lecture series by Dr. Avraham Giliadi, Dreams, Visions, and Near-Death Experiences Compared to the End-Time Prophecy of Isaiah. This is Lecture 18, Exercising Faith in God. So, from Visions of Glory again, this is such a wealth of knowledge and insights and information. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed how the Lord can reveal these things in our day and the fact that He's revealing things to many people through visions and dreams right now of what's just right ahead. Um, it reminds me of Old Testament times when those things were common then and they seem to be becoming, becoming common among some of us too, which is wonderful. So, on Spencer's journey in faith, the journey to Zion was a journey in which they had to learn faith, perhaps more than any other thing. And so will be for us. If we ever end up in Zion, we'll have to match this. And that's going to be a process. He says, I'm not proud to admit that I did not have significant a faith at that time to, to believe the visions God had shown me rather than believing my body. And he talks about the screaming demands of the flesh in other places and all that they require that keep us totally distracted with these mundane things of this world, which I thought was quite obviously dying because he was near death a number of times and did die several times. It is hard, maybe inhumanly hard, to feel your body dying, shutting down, life draining out of it, and still have faith in long ago promises. <laughs> we can identify with that, can't we? Because we have long ago promises too, right here in the scriptures about what's coming before the coming of the Lord, at the coming of the Lord. Those are long ago promises, and some of them have been reiterated recently, but we can, I can really identify with this, can't you? Of a seemingly now impossible future, because how many of us really believe those things that are spoken in these long ago promises? We've read them, we've read them many times, some of them, and yet they still seem so far away. But guess what? Things are already happening in our day to... It's just like a whole... All the planets are lining up for these things now to just unfold. And when they do, he says, you hit the ground running. So all those who are ready for those events at that time will hit the ground running, while those who are not ready will be standing still running. What's going on now? But it should have been just... But I should have... He should have uh, believed and exercised faith. I should have just believed and rejected my body's attempts to die. You mean there's a tug of war between your body and the spirit? Yes, of course. That's what the mortal mortality is all about, is there not? Then my faith in God and my Savior should have raised me up. So maintaining faith is, is just key to everything, as we'll discuss throughout this lecture today. I saw that when any person manifests even the smallest particle of faith, even just a thought or an idea, everything that moves toward hope, obedience to truth, faith in Jesus Christ, then the darkness is penetrated by a small degree of light, and the angels once again speak the words of Christ as, as the still small voice. Now we talked about last week about 
angels ministering the Holy Spirit, DNC 76. And I gave you those verses. And so it is here. He, he keeps reiterating that throughout his vision, he sees that whenever he has these revelations or things happen to them, to the people in the end time, it is through the angels ministering. They're very, very active. And I've had that experience all the time with my writing. Sometimes there's a change of guard. I know I'm aware of that. Sometimes there may be just one. Sometimes there's many, depending on the need. But the angels are very involved, depending on us to invite them. Moving toward hope, obedience, truth, and faith in Jesus Christ. So, so then, then we align ourselves with the Spirit, and then we can receive the Spirit through the angels. If people choose to respond correctly to that voice, the darkness will begin to lift. And so many of us you know, are turning to you know, medications to still the darkness. But the darkness, the depressions of this life, and the things that weigh us down, there is light to be had if we'll direct our attention to the things of God. If people choose to respond correctly to that voice, the darkness will begin to lift. There'll still be a long road and many more correct choices to make, but the process has begun. And he knew how long the road was because it took years to read Zion, as we'll read in just a little bit. And then we have from Isaiah, go now, write on tablets concerning them, or plates. Now, I don't doubt that somewhere there are plates of Isaiah because here the Lord tells him to write on them. So they're either either clay tablets, but I tend to think that they are plates of metal, maybe like gold plates, like the Book of Mormon, because they had them in those days. Recorded in a book for the end times. So that tells you that the book of Isaiah and the words of Isaiah are about the end time. Whatever historical relevance they may have had, which people get hung up on, seems like, put it all back in time, it's an allegory of our day is also the key Jesus gives. In 3 Nephi 23, all the things that he spoke have been and shall be. They were in his day, they, they happen again in the end time. For they are a rebellious people, sons who break faith. When? Well, back then? Yeah. But also today, in the end time. Children unwilling to obey the law of Jehovah. Now notice the parallel there between breaking faith and the law of Jehovah, because those two are related together. If you're not keeping the law, you will lose faith. You know that, when people apostatize, they start losing the light, and then pretty soon they have no more faith. Maybe some have family members, as I do, in that category. Who say to the seers, see not. To those with visions, predict not what is right for us, flatter us, foresee a farce, because they'd rather hear pleasant things to the ears and not have to face the fact that, hey, there may be a problem. Maybe I need to make some changes in my life. And so they would rather believe in platitudes and the all-is-well comfort zone that so many of us hear so often. And this is from the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith. He says, because faith is wanting, the fruits are. So if we don't have the fruits, it's us. Not because there ain't no fruits. No man since the world was had faith without having something along with it, such as evidences of your faith that consist of your actions in one way or another. The ancients quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Women received their dead, that is, from, from the dead, back to life, etc. By faith, the worlds were made. 
God made the world using faith. God had to exercise faith, or the gods in concert. A man who has none of the gifts has no faith, and he deceives himself or herself if he supposes he has. Faith has been wanting not only among the heathen, but in professed Christianity also, so that tongues, healing, prophecy, and prophets and apostles, that all the gifts and blessings have been wanting. And Joseph Smith decried that fact. Sometimes I think he felt all alone in the exercise of faith, because nobody else could match his faith. After a while, some came along and did, and it's really hard. But faith is actually a substance. It consists of uh, circuitries, brain circuitries, that actually form when you, like a grain of mustard seed, you exercise faith, it becomes something tangible. And in this life, in this physical life, we can create that better than any other time. In our physical bodies, we can. And God has a physical body. DNC 63, faith comes not by signs, but signs follow those that believe. Signs come by faith, not by the will of men. And remember that, because you can't control the habiliments of the priesthood. You can't make things happen. It has to come from God. If he allows it to happen, if you put yourself in a position and qualify to make things happen, then they will happen. He will respond to you. But it's not going to be from your will. So that means you have to give up your will already before you start doing or exercising your faith, right? Or exercising your priesthood. Your own will has to be out of it, out, totally out of the picture. Nor as they please, but by the will of God. Signs come by faith unto mighty works. For without faith no man pleases God, and with whom God is angry he is not well pleased. Wherefore unto such he shows no signs, only in wrath to their condemnation. So the signs that they will receive will be signs of destruction, or signs of plagues, or signs of covenant curses because they were not willing to receive signs through faith that were of God. Wherefore, I, the Lord, am not pleased with those among you who have sought after signs and wonders for faith, and not for the good of men unto my glory. So before you exercise faith, make sure that you have God's glory in mind, not your own glory. So you get a name for exercising faith and doing wonders. It's not about that. It's not about you. Spencer says... Our agency is always honored, always honored, because the Lord loves agency and the whole plan of salvation and exaltation is based on our exercise of agency. How we exercise it, one way or the other, we exercise it. We're never in a situation of nothingness. So much that even though there are good angels around us wanting to give us that Holy Spirit and minister to us, we still have to invite their intervention. Ask. Ask and you shall receive them. We invite them to assist us by prayer, by having hope, by feeling faith and belief. They can see that we do that. They're right there watching us day and night. How about that? Even the words we may think quietly or speak to ourselves, even these matter. Please show me how. Please help me. Please, God, help me find my keys. Ha <laughs> ha. Please, God, save my children. Whoa, yes. All of these things trigger powerful things from the other side of the veil. You know, you set things in motion. There are angels going up and down, ministering your desires, the fulfillment of your desires. Some will be delayed desires. The Lord has to arrange things over time in their lives, your life, and so forth. They become even more powerful when we have learned to respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit 
because then we can be given the answers to these urgent prayers more quickly and profoundly. Because if we know what to pray for by the Holy Spirit, then we pray for that, right? And so that will be more effective than if we don't know what we're praying for, or just guessing, or making road prayers or something like that. I think road prayers are fine for little children, but not for adults. They might even be offensive to God, I would say. Vain repetitions. Ether 12. It's by faith that Christ showed himself unto our fathers after he had risen from the dead. Well, also to the Jews to begin with, right? Because there was some exercising faith that the Messiah would come. A few. And he showed not himself unto them until after they had faith in him, wherefore it must needs be that some had faith in him. It doesn't require everybody, but a goodly number. So it is for the end time. If there are some exercising faith now, that this or that event is going to happen, or could happen, looking forward to it with an eye of faith, then the Lord will have respect to it and answer our faith in that. He showed not himself to the world, but he did show himself to them, right? Matthew 6. If God so clothes the grasses of the field, which today exist, but tomorrow are cast in the furnace, won't he so much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Take no thought to say, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what, what, with what shall we be clothed? For all these things the Gentiles seek after. Well, we're Gentiles, and we seek after them. And he said, don't do that. So if we would, if we would you know, move beyond the Gentile thing to becoming true saints or sanctified ones, then this has to be us. Don't worry about it. When they went out without purse or script, they had to do this. On their march to Zion, Spencer and his group had to do this. They had to learn, they had to unlearn looking for these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Seek first, therefore, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. They'll come along. Take no thought, therefore, for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take thought of what pertains to it. So don't pray about tomorrow. Tomorrow pray about then, right? That's what he's saying. Sufficient for today is the evil thereof. Well, you mean everything has evil? Yeah, there's good and evil on both sides. So pray for the good. Dealing with evil, including temptations not to exercise faith, is an evil. Any temptation is, is evil. Temptation to do wrong. Definitions of faith. Faith is not to have a perfect knowledge of things. Therefore, if you have faith, you hope for things which are not seen, which are true. If they're not true, how can you hope for them? How can you have faith in them? They don't exist. And I remember, you know, praying in front of the statues as a former Catholic. And that wasn't exactly profitable to me, which I finally realized and then converted to Judaism and learned all the prophecies more thoroughly and the manner of the Jews and so forth. So once you step onto the path of exercising faith in what's true and learning what's true and what's not true, then you start moving forward. Anybody can do that. And notice the connection between faith and hope. So you have faith, but faith is having a hope in something too. So faith, hope, and charity, which is love of God, go together. The love of God is in there because you're feeling your way toward God. It's through faith, right? Which means you love God, or you're seeking to love God. And when he fills you with his love, then you exercise more faith. You're able to exercise more faith because of his grace. It's in you. Because faith is also a gift of God as love is. Alma 37, preach unto them repentance and faith on the Lord Jesus Christ. There you go. You have to have repentance 
Two, because if you have things to repent of, how can the Lord shower his gifts upon you? And when we have faith, we principally have faith in Jesus Christ because he's the giver of all good. All blessings come through him to us. Teach them to humble themselves, to be meek, lowly in heart. Teach them to withstand every temptation of the devil with their faith on Jesus Christ, on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because faith empowers you to resist temptations. Faith makes you realize how nothing you are. And it's not a bad thing when you pray sometimes to bend all the way down to the ground and humble yourself before him. Because Jesus did that in front of the Nephites when he prayed to the Father. Acted out physically too, not just in your minds. James, if faith doesn't have works, it is dead, being single or alone just by itself. Indeed, a man says, you have faith and I have works. But he says, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Because faith is something you act on, so there have to be works, activities, actions, proactivity. You believe there is one God, you do well. The devils also believe and tremble. Can't you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? I wonder if sometimes this is a polemic against Paul, because Paul said, you know, it's all by grace. And so I wonder if James wasn't kind of getting things more balanced again from what Paul was teaching. He wasn't denying Paul, but he's countering Paul, so to speak. Wasn't Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see how faith worked with his works, how by his works his faith was made perfect? Which means his faith wasn't perfect to begin with. But when he finally did that ultimate act, because remember he offered his life on that altar, that idolatrous altar back in Babylonia, and then Pharaoh took his wife, and he didn't know if we'd get any of these things back. But through those trials and exercising faith, that's when his faith became perfect, and not until then. So he had to give the ultimate. He was willing to give the ultimate of everything, all that he stood for. God gave it all back, yes, which establishes the principle, as I mentioned before, in a previous lecture, that whatever you sacrifice, God gives back. Sometime or other. It doesn't have to be in this life, but sometime he will. And added upon. But you cannot have faith perfected in you unless you put everything on the altar either. Because this is the pattern that Abraham established. Thus was the scripture fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God to that degree, because as Paul says of, of Isaac, he believed that God was able to resurrect him again, to raise him from the dead again. He had faith in that, so he, he obeyed. He believed God, and it was imputed to him as righteousness. So faith is an attribute of righteousness. And he was called a friend of God, because when you offer your all in sacrifice, there's no question, but you are his friend. He calls you his friends. Look up the word friend all through the scriptures and you see that. Do a word search on it. Or look up the word beloved, like the beloved disciple and three, three Nephites, the beloved disciples. You see then how by works a man is justified not only by faith. Lectures on faith, lecture one, verse one, by Joseph Smith. If men were duly to consider themselves and turn their thoughts and reflections to the operations of their own minds, you mean I have a mind? Well, yeah. We have to worship God with our minds, not just our hearts and our emotions, right? 
they would readily discover that it is faith and faith only which is the moving cause of all action. In them, so action is works, right? In them. That without it, both mind and body would be in a state of inactivity, like nerdishness, and all their exertions would cease both physical and mental. You would just vegetate. Is that what you want to be? I think we're all too in a vegetative state. Sometimes we have to yank ourselves out of it, don't we? How? By exercising our minds. We control our thoughts. We may get thoughts. They're not necessarily our own that could come from the other side. Paul again, Hebrews 11. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Well, that's parroted in our LDS scriptures. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. Well, all the prophets did, yes. And Abraham. Through faith, we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God. By his word... In the exercise of faith, he spoke and it happened. You mean sometimes we have to just speak up so that things can happen too. We have to verbalize it. How about when you're giving a priesthood blessing and the Spirit directs you and, should I really say that? (laughs) Yes, because the Word of God is power and He fulfills it. The angels are there waiting for you to say it. Oh, what if it doesn't happen? Well, too bad for you and too bad for the person you're supposed to be blessing, right? Well, you're just going to say it's a blessing, it's a prayer. I'm just going to say a prayer for this person. And that's not a blessing. So the things that were not seen were not made of things that appear. We see them, but we're going to make them appear? Yes. We have to create them spiritually in our minds because faith is physical and powerful, we can create it spiritually, and then it happens physically. That's what God did. Those are the works of faith. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Because Cain, you know, he kind of compromised things a little bit. By which he obtained a witness that he was righteous. You mean you can get a witness that you're righteous? Well, I go to church. I mean, I go to church every Sunday. I'm righteous. Oh, by whose definition? Yours or God's? You know, There's way more to it than that. You know when you get a witness of the Spirit, right? You know. God doesn't leave you in doubt. He really tells you things. Like Paul says, you cannot be saved in ignorance. You cannot be exalted in ignorance either. And you cannot know you're righteous and approved of God without a witness from him either by the Spirit of God. God testifying of his gifts. And by it, he being dead, yet speaks. How does Abel speak today? Well, by his example. He speaks on the other side of the veil. He's ministering to us, or no doubt, or just some of Heavenly Father's children. He's been a wonderful example to us from the time of Adam. By faith, Enoch was translated, so he would not see death. You mean if I exercise faith, I can be translated? Duh. That's what it says. Abraham, I mean, uh, Enoch exercised faith. He would not see death, nor did John the Revelator, nor the three Nephites, nor anybody was translated. They were translated because they exercised faith. But again, you can't make it happen. Who can make it happen? God makes it happen. But you have to put yourself in line for it, for those blessings. And he was not found because he disappeared. 
because God had translated them. He could come and go between the worlds. After that, the Spirit could take him wherever God wanted him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. And you know, when you know that you please God, you can't get enough of that. So you want to keep going in the exercise of faith and continue to exercise greater and greater faith until your faith is perfect too. And watch out what Spencer said. We're going to read what Spencer says later about faith becoming perfect. Just when he thought it was perfect, guess what? It could become more perfect. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Seek and you shall find. Ask and you shall receive, and so forth. Knock and it shall be opened. What will be open? Well, how about the heavens? Christ has said, If you will have faith in me, you shall have power to do whatsoever thing is expedient in me. And that is the key. It has to be expedient in Christ because if we want something, you know, that's not as well, not Father's will, we're not going to get it. We're kicking against the pricks. Remember Nephi, the son of Helaman, he was translated. The Spirit took him wherever he wanted, the Spirit wanted, wherever God wanted. But he was translated only when God knew that he would not, not ask for that which was not expedient in Christ, that was not his will. He knew at that point Helaman, the son of Nephi, had through his experience in exercising faith, he knew exactly what was the will of God, and that is alone what he asked for. So when you get to that point, then you might think about getting translated a little bit. Right? Like Alma the Younger. Oh, that I were an angel could have the wish of my heart and preach to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, basically. Well, that wasn't just wishful thinking because he had reached that point that that was his next step. And indeed, he went there. Because they never could find him after that. I mean, after he supposedly died. And he had said, Repent, all ye ends of the earth, and come unto me and be baptized in my name and have faith in me. Not in this person or that person, not in this thing or that thing, in him, in Christ. It's the most powerful thing you can do, that ye may be saved and exalted. And now, my beloved brethren, if this be the case that these things are true, this is Moroni, you know, near the very end of the Book of Mormon, which I have spoken to you, and God will show unto you with power and great glory at the last day that they are true. And if they are true, has the day of miracles ceased? Or have angels ceased to appear unto the children of men? Why are those two things in parallel? Because the angels have everything to do with the miracles. They do the miracles, you just pronounce the words. That's what Spencer sees happen over and over and over. Or has he withheld the power of the Holy Ghost from them? Or will he so long, that's also in parallel with them, with those two. Or will he so long as time shall last, or the earth shall stand, or there shall be one man upon the the face thereof to be saved. Now, the whole plan of salvation is so that everybody stays with the program, even God, until there is down to the last man to be saved. And if there are no more to be saved, then, yeah, we can take care of the rest. But they're just condemning themselves by living longer. Behold, I say unto you, nay, for it is by faith that miracles are wrought, it is by faith that angels appear and minister unto men. There are the two things together again. Wherefore, if these things have ceased... Woe be unto the children of men, for it is because of unbelief. And a woe is the covenant curse, as you know. And all is vain. The atonement is vain. 
in that situation. For no man can be saved according to the words of Christ, save they shall have faith in his name, wherefore if these things have ceased, then has faith ceased also, and awful is the state of man, for they are as though there had been no redemption made. The atonement will be of none effect to them. But behold, my beloved brethren, I judge better of you, for I judge that you have faith in Christ because of your meekness. Remember, humility and meekness precede faith or are part and parcel of exercising faith, knowing that you can't do anything, you have no power. Power is from God. Minister through the angels. For if you have not faith in him, then are you not fit to be numbered among the people of his church? Then you're just pretending. 38. This is what we talked about last time. There was not any man who could do a miracle, miracle in the name of Jesus save you were cleansed every whit from his iniquity. And as I mentioned, iniquity is not sin. You can repent of sin and be forgiven of it, and it's over. It's no more. Your slate is wiped clean, but there are the effects of transgression. Dysfunctional patterns that you started, or that your parents started, or your parents' parents, back through the generations. So you've inherited covenant curses from them, that continue down the generations, as it says, the iniquities of the fathers and the heads of the children to the third and fourth generation, until you or somebody else turns it around. You take ownership of those dysfunctional patterns, those iniquities, and keep repenting and repenting and calling upon God that he might remove them from you, and eventually you rise above all the dysfunctional patterns. You won't need Prozac or anything else anymore, <laughs> and you're clean every whit then you can do miracles because then you'll have the Spirit with you and you'll know how to act. You know what works will be, required of, will be required of you in your ministries. This was their faith, Alma 48, that by so doing, God would prosper them in the land. Or in other words, if they were faithful, speaking of the Nephites, in keeping the commandments of God, there again you see the Word of God and the commandments of God, which are the law of God, go together with the exercise of faith. They are the works, keeping his word, obeying his word and keeping his law, keeping the commandments, which are the terms of his covenant with you. If they were faithful in keeping the commandments of God, that he, he would prosper them in the land. Prosper them in the land, prosper them as a, as a collective community, but also individually prosper them spiritually, prosper them physically with food to eat, clothes to wear, protection from God against enemies. Yea, warn them to flee or to prepare for war according to their danger. Well, I'm pacifist. I don't get involved in war. I don't want to hear about war. Da, 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 da. Really? So what about if someone comes to kill you and your sp spouse and children then? What will you do then? Just let them do it? No, the Nephites were taught to prepare for war and to be ready for war in case war happens or, or danger threatens and not just let the enemy ride all over you according to their danger. So if the danger was great, then they had to rise to, up to the level of the danger. In this country, what's happening in this country and what's coming upon this country, yeah. And also that God will make it known unto them whether they should go to defend themselves against their enemies, and by so doing the Lord would deliver them. So it doesn't talk about fleeing, does it? Or running away. Because the Lord always provides a way of escape. 
even when through the collective guilt of the nation, God's judgments come upon the nation and you, get, and you get caught in the middle of it, even though none of it was your doing. What do you do then? Then you trust in the Lord that he will provide a way for your deliverance, as it says here. He will deliver you. That is where faith comes in. Well, I'm going to make my bunker and da-da-da. And... Really? So you're going to trust in the arm of flesh then, are you? Fine, but then you disqualify yourself for God's protection. See what I mean? Keep the higher law, not the lesser law in these situations. The great lesson of Spencer and Visions of Glory is that they have to exercise faith solely in Christ until there's nothing else you can lie on. You have to let everything else go. Then you see miracles happen. Well, that's hard. Well, yeah, it's hard. But think of, the, think of the fruits of it. Okay, the trial of our faith, visions of glory. We arrived at Zion on foot and in rags. All of our vehicles were abandoned, our supplies were gone, even our pockets were empty. We have been stripped of everything we relied upon. How many things do we rely upon today? Oh my goodness, the list is endless, isn't it? How could we ever get rid of all that? Well, that's why we have to march. March to Zion and just leave it all behind someday. Or go into the wilderness whenever he calls us. Everything that had produced our earlier confidence, even food and clothing, it was this process of sacrificing everything earthly that has sequentially, or through process, taught us to totally trust in God, to have utter confidence in him rather than in our things. Well, I like my little things. I have little things all around my house. And don't you touch that. You know, you children, please stay away from that. Um, I mean, don't we have these things everywhere? I have my laptop. I mean, what am I without my ID card, my driver's license? I mean, that's me. No, it's not. Things, 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 things. So... If you're going to get there, don't imagine you get, you're going to get there without any of, with any of these things. You arrived with a pillar of fire before us and a pillar of fire behind us. We lacked for nothing. We had been beaten down, and in that same process, we had been elevated to the stature of Zion. You have to be reduced to nothing in order for God to reconstitute you on a Zion level. That's what they do in the army, isn't it? They break you down to nothing, then they remake you. From Isaiah, your faithfulness in time of trial, in the time like the time of pregnancy, the, the time before giving birth, the birth pangs of the Messiah, in that time of, of difficulty, of hardships, of your descent through trials. In Isaiah, you go through the descent, a descent before you ascend to the next spiritual level, higher up. You can't get up Straight up, you have to go through the descent. Shall prove to be a strength, an empowerment, in other words. Your faith in those times is an empowerment. It empowers you. Your wisdom and knowledge, your salvation, because your wisdom is based on following your principles that exercising faith will produce this result. That's my knowledge. I know that if I do this and I don't compromise my principles, I will come out better at the other end. And I'm not going to compromise no matter what I have to suffer. When you make those kind of 
that deals with God, then he brings you through to the other end, his way, and to fulfill your desires. The fear of Jehovah, not of these things, or that danger, of this person, of that authority, or this threat, you know, your fear of Jehovah that replaces those fears will become your riches, your eternal riches. Paul, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet or proper, because of your faith which is growing exceedingly because of the abounding charity every one of you has toward another. You know, it must feel wonderful for an apostle to be able to say this to a ward or a stake and feel these results of their labors. It must please them exceedingly because they put so much into it and now they see the fruits of it. And the angels are doing their thing on the other side to bring these saints forward so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith amidst all the persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Because that's when faith and charity and everything else blossoms under threat of persecution and threat of death and tribulations and afflictions. That is when faith, love, and all the divine attributes begin to prosper and grow to perfection being manifest, a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God so that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God on which account you also suffer. Because you're going to suffer, you're going to go this, into this with your eyes open that you're going to suffer. That's Paul. He says that over and over again throughout his epistles. A righteous judgment because on the one hand, judge, God will judge your enemies, but it will also judge you with the rewards of your faith and righteousness. Peter, the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold, that perishes. Though it be tried with fire, it might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearance of Jesus Christ. Okay, gold is a celestial metal, and it signifies a celestial glory. It's like semi-precious, and common metals and stones signify terrestrial and telestial. And dross signifies perdition and so forth in the prophets. So he's, he's likening the, the analogy of gold tried in the fire with you being tried by fire, by fire and by the Holy Ghost, through the chastening of God, through the afflictions with which he afflicts you, as we read last time, being willing to suffer all the afflictions that God sees, the Lord sees fit to inflict upon you. The Lord knows what you need, and that's what he does for you. Thank God for those dang afflictions. Might be found to praise and honor and glory at the appearance of Jesus Christ because he converts those things to your honor, to your glory, and to his. At the appearance of Jesus Christ because that's when, at that point in our progression, that's where we'll be. So wouldn't you want to be there, part of Zion, by that time? And not be back there somewhere, still figuring it out? Whom having not seen, you love. And, and the Lord says, more blessed are those who see not, but have believed, right? Blessed are you because you have seen the Nephites, the Jews, and others. But more blessed are you who have not seen. That's us. That's where we start off. So we can go further than, in effect, than those guys who saw and believed through our faith. In whom, even though you don't see him at present, yet you believe. And in whom you rejoice with joy unspeakable because that's where joy comes in. Once you pass all those tests, 
joy is the end result. And you know it when you're filled with joy. And your heart is filled with praise of God, spontaneous praise, like the psalmist. Most of those psalms are spontaneous praises. Psalms means praises. Spontaneous praises of God because he led me through all of this and now I got this far. Wow, I'm there. Oh, wait a minute. You're, yeah, you're there now, but it's further. So, but yes, praise. There are valleys and plateaus every step of the way. Filled with glory, receiving the object of your faith, the salvation of your souls, and the exaltation of your souls. Sometimes it's just, you know, incorporates both in one, a salvation. Teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith. Now, you know, Joseph Smith, his writing is so profound. I have the utmost respect and love for the prophet Joseph Smith. I love the man. And now, beloved brethren, we say unto you, inasmuch as God has said that he would have a tried people, that he would purge them as gold. Well, that's what Peter said, and Isaiah says it, and others. Now we think that this time he has chosen his own crucible. He's going to do it his way. Wherein we have been tried, because they have been already been tried with the mobs and so forth. Then they were tried on their track to Zion. And we've had it good ever since, right? Oh, be careful then, because that's not a good sign, is it? And if we think we will get through with any degree of safety, we shall have and have kept the faith that will be assigned to this generation altogether sufficient to leave them without excuse. And we think also that it will be a trial of our faith equal to that of Abraham. Well, according to the scriptures, those long ago promises, the trials are going to come. And we are going to have to exercise that faith. And Spencer and his people did all those who reach Zion eventually will have a trial of their faith equal to that of Abraham if they are to inherit the blessings of Abraham. Because God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't do for one what he will not do for the other. It doesn't work that day. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So don't count on getting there without going through the same process or sequential process that Spencer talks about. Lectures on faith, also by Joseph Smith, let us here observe that a religion that does not require the sacrifice of all things things, huh? Never has power sufficient to produce the faith necessary into life and salvation. So there is a certain faith necessary for life and salvation. Well, I believe God is going to answer this prayer that I had today find my keys is that the kind of faith necessary for life and salvation hardly so there is a certain degree of faith in other words necessary for life and salvation that's what we're after well from the first existence of man the faith necessary unto the enjoyment of life and salvation never could be obtained without the sacrifice of all earthly things it was through this sacrifice and this only that God has ordained that men should enjoy eternal life eternal lives because Hebrew is plural and it is through the medium of the sacrifice of all earthly things that men do actually know that they are doing the things that, that are well pleasing in the sight of God they actually know it because God makes it known to them but it is without a doubt so faith at that point turns to knowledge perfect knowledge that is one of the most 
wonderful things you can attain. Because that is what produces the joy to know that you're there. At least that you have reached that point. When a man is offered in sacrifice all that he has for the truth's sake, not even withholding his life, and believing before God that he has been called to make this sacrifice because he seeks to do his will, he does know most assuredly that God does and will accept his sacrifice and offering and that he has not, nor will not seek his face in vain. Well, yes, you can do foolish things and lose your life in the process, but the foolishness, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about not withholding your life if it is God's will, and you know it's God's will, to save some soul or something, making some kind of sacrifice that he requires of you to do in his name, being valued in the testimony of Jesus with some other cause of Christ, then that is what he's talking about. Under these circumstances, then, he can obtain the faith necessary for him to lay hold on eternal life. Eternal life and exaltation, they go together. It is vain for persons to fancy to themselves that they are heirs with those or can be heirs with them who have offered their all in sacrifice and by this means obtain faith in God and favor with him so as, as to obtain eternal life unless they in like manner offer unto him the same sacrifice and through that offering obtain the knowledge that they are accepted of him. So what should we be saying in response to all this? Are we ready to say, bring it on? Really? You know, are we ready to say, oh God, get me ready for this because I know this is coming and then bring it on, right? Because I want to go through it. You can't get around it. Getting around it in the end ends up in more anguish and pain than going through it. So by all means, let's go through it, right? Pay whatever price it takes. Decide that now so it won't be a surprise later. Right? Helaman 3. Here we see an example. In the 50 and first year of the reign of the judges, there was peace also among the Nephites, save it were the pride which began to enter into the church. Not into the church of God, but into the hearts of the people who profess to belong to the church of God. You mean to say there are two churches? One of God and one of pretenders? Well, heck yeah. It says it right there. You mean that was just for their day, right? Um, well, isn't the Book of Mormon also a type and shadow for our day? As well as Isaiah and many other prophecies? Of course. And they were lifted up in pride even to the persecution of many of their brethren. Well, we know that persecution is coming because what happened in Joseph Smith's day is also a type and shadow for our day. And there was horrendous persecution. Well, how did that start? Well, they found one pretext or another. And believe me, when we're going to keep all the laws of God and get our act together someday to qualify for Zion, there'll be no shortage of persecution. So, again, think of it in those terms. It's coming, so get ready for it. Now, this was the great evil which had caused the more humble part of the people, the underdogs, the the meek, the humble followers of Christ, the ones who didn't, not ostentatious, you would hardly notice them maybe, who suffer great persecutions to wade through much affliction, 
Because persecution can be passive as well as active, right? You can be snubbed without somebody snubbing you. It's the way they act toward you. They don't have to say things or make gestures or just body language. Just, I call that passive persecution. But also great persecution like happened at the time of Joseph Smith. The mobs, the gangs that will be in the end time. There'll be mobs and gangs. And who will they be most after? Who do you think Satan will inspire them to, to go after the most? But then there'll be those who think they do God a service by killing you, as Jesus says in Matthew 24. So wouldn't that be a time to exercise faith? Once people become blind, they don't realize they're blind. They still think they're serving God. Self-righteous. Yeah, many will hate and betray each other. One another, who to? Well, to the authorities, right? To what authorities? Political and ecclesiastical, of course. Those are the two authorities. Nevertheless, they did fast, pray oft, and they waxed stronger and stronger in their humility and firmer and firmer in the faith of Christ. They had to. They were forced to or else they could just go over to the other side and everything was fine. But leave them alone after that. After the filling their souls with joy and consolation, because there is a second comforter, there is even beyond that, even unto the purifying and sanctification of their hearts, which sanctification cometh because of their yielding their hearts unto God. So these, two pe these people too offer their ultimate in, in sacrifice, their whole souls to God. And they went through this purification process because of their persecutions, because those people were prideful, became prideful. Those people condemned themselves in their persecutions and their pride, but these people, you know, could be thankful for them because they helped them to lift them up. When evil goes to its, you know, to its zenith, so does righteousness and good go to its apex. It goes like that, and the one has to keep balance with the other. So are you going to say, bring it on? I'm not so sure, you know, we want all that evil suddenly to come down upon you. But yes, so by degrees, by degrees it will, and then after a while it suddenly will too, because there comes an end. And if you have procrastinated the day of your salvation, it will be everlasting to be too late at some point. There'll be a cutoff point. Okay, let's take a five-minute break, and we will come back in a few minutes. Okay, so we're on the journey to Zion with Spencer and Visions of Glory. During this leg of our journey, I don't recall ever seeing a miracle to provide loaves and fishes or fuel. We had the mindset that the Lord expected us to provide for our needs, that he would lead us to obtain them. We developed complete faith in this process. We learned much later, however, that this is a lesser law that we were really being brought to a greater faith that would allow us to rely upon him for everything. We learned that this greater degree, we learned this in greater degrees as we continued our journey to Zion, we were taught in many ways as it took until it was a perfect and powerful truth till we simply had nothing but him and it was enough. Now, can you imagine that? I think that that must be something extraordinary. I mean, if, if I could just rely upon in, in traveling somewhere, you know, that 
oh, at such and such a place, there'll be food, and they won't have to pay for it and all that, or, or it's going to snow tomorrow, so I just rely upon somebody along the way to give me a code or something. I mean, think about that. But in this case, until you have nothing at all, just him, that's hard even to conceive, isn't it? With us and all our paraphernalia all around us. It took us years to understand that we had to evolve into Zion, not just march to it. And that was really the purpose of the journey. It wasn't the fact that all we, how quickly can we cover the distance by marching to it? And why did it have to be on foot anyway? Like the Israelites in the Sinai wilderness, it took 40 years. It would have taken the younger generation, well, it did, less years, but the older generation were not even up to it. So they had to die in the wilderness, and the younger generation was able to do it in a few years. It was a process that involved stripping away everything belonging to the world and replacing it with total faith in God. We had to learn that we did not need anything from the telestial world because you're going to leave the telestial world behind and go into a terrestrial world. All we needed was complete faith in Christ. It was a very hard transition to make, but it was one of the reasons our journey to Zion took so many years. Not to cover the distance, but to evolve spiritually so that we would be worthy to be in Zion when we actually arrived there. We had to learn how to be of perfect faith and how to release our grip on things as our salvation. And remember the person who was a diabetic and then he had to give up the medicine. And that was, that was a trial of his faith. And he did. And it worked. From Joseph Smith, teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith. It is the privilege of every elder to speak of the things of God. Because we are to be teachers. And could we all come together with one heart and one mind in perfect faith? There's that perfect faith again. The veil might as well be rent today as next week or any other time. And if we will but cleanse ourselves and covenant before God to serve Him, it is our privilege to have an assurance that God will protect us at all times. While we make covenants, baptism, so to speak, it's a physical, it's a physical manifestation of our covenant, it's a work of our faith. We make covenants in the temple, but we can also make covenants personally with the Lord on whatever we consider appropriate, or whatever His Spirit inspires us to make covenants or deals with, or contracts with Him, that will serve us in our life's journeys. God has respect to those things. So he's saying, if we could just get our act together, we could do it right now. This is all agree right now. Everybody in this room, boom. Well, I'm going to go home and uh, get back into my things. Right? <laughs> yeah, okay. So... But the time will come when we'll have this opportunity as they did, the people in Spencer's vision, the time will come we'll have that opportunity to let it all go. So what can we do now about it? Prepare our hearts and minds. So when this moment comes that Joseph Smith is talking about, boom, we'll hit the ground running. Moroni, again, one of the last things he talks about, and faith was a big one. 
By the ministering of angels and by every word which proceeded forth out of the mouth of God, men began to exercise faith in Christ. There we have that linking and that parallel again of angels, the mouth of God, the word coming out of the mouth of God, and men exercising faith. Faith and the law and word of God go hand in hand. And faith and the ministry of angels go hand in hand because they help fulfill our faith in Christ. And thus by faith, they did lay hold upon every good thing. Every good thing comes of God. And the evil gift is of Satan, right? And thus it was until the coming of Christ. Well, I might say, well, thus that being a type and shadow of the second coming of Christ, thus it will be until the coming of Christ. Or will have to be, or Christ will not come. You think Christ is going to come if there's no Zion to receive him? Of course not. We have to establish Zion, and then he can come to Zion. He didn't come to Enoch's people until they established Zion. So he's not going to come to our Zion until the servant establishes, and the 144,000 servants establish Zion. Then he comes. And after he came, men also were saved by faith in his name. And by faith they became the sons of God. Because that whole process is all about becoming sons of God, the Father, the Most High God. And it's a process. Yes, we're his spirit children, but we're not sons of God in the flesh yet. But when we, when we um, bring our bodies up to the level of our spirits, then we become sons of God. We are recreated and recreated and recreated in his image and likeness until we are like him. And read Paul if you want to know about the process and becoming sons of God. And to the full measure of the stature of Christ, that's becoming sons of God. And as surely as Christ liveth, he spake these words unto our Father, saying, Whatsoever thing you shall ask the Father in my name, which is good, that's why Nephi the son of Helaman only asked for that which was good, because he knew what was good by that point in his spiritual progression. In faith believing that ye shall receive, because you can ask and not have faith, behold, it shall be done unto you. And when faith increases, you know it. And the Lord, you know, it's like by His grace, He, he by His grace, He gives us these gifts of His love and of faith and of hope. And He sheds upon us His grace so that He kind of gets us started. And then we use that, we, we build upon it, magnify that, and then we go to the next level with it. We take it to the next level and to the next level and to the next. And that's a beautiful process, and Spencer and his group experienced that in the flesh, or they will experience it sometime in the future because it was about the future, right? And it is a marvelous and exhilarating process. And that's what he says it is. If there be no faith among the children of men, again, this is from Moroni, God can do no, no miracle among them, wherefore he showed not himself until after their faith. So if you want God to appear or to manifest himself to you, because the same principle applies, you have to exercise faith that he will. Well, I made this deal with the Lord that if I would do this, this, and this, then he would manifest himself to me, and it didn't happen. And I thought he agreed that he would, but he didn't. So now what do I do? Well, maybe it wasn't of him. Maybe, you know, maybe that was just your own idea and he didn't totally go along with it. 
but it didn't, it didn't hurt, right? So long as you don't get disaffected because it hasn't happened yet. Have you heard that story before? I see some heads nodding. So, it was the faith of Alma and Emilek that caused the prison to give some examples of faith, but apply it always to yourself. It was the faith of Nephi and Lehi, these brothers, the two brothers, right? That wrought the change upon the Lamanites, that they were baptized with fire and the Holy Ghost. It was the faith of Ammon and his brethren, which wrought so great a miracle among the Lamanites of their conversion to the gospel, a mass conversion. Even all that they wrought, all who wrought miracles, wrought them by faith, even those who were before Christ, and also those who were after, and those who are in our day. It's not going to change. So if the Jews are going to be converted, if the Lamanites of our day are going to be converted, if the ten tribes that are lost in the fallen state somewhere are going to be converted, it's going to, it's going to be because of our faith by us taking the gospel to them and having faith like the, the sons of Messiah that it would happen, that it could happen, and that we're willing to put ourselves out there and make it happen. Well, God would make it happen, but we would be the instruments, like they were. And then look into the lives of Ammon and his brothers, the sons of Messiah, and look what they did before they went out, before they ever went out. And then you can see why they had that kind of faith by the time they did go out, and that they believed they could do it. It's by faith that the three disciples obtained a promise, like Enoch, that they should not taste of death, and like John the Revelator. And they obtained not the promise until after their faith, because they were translated. Neither at any time has any wrought miracles until after their faith, wherefore they first believed in the Son of God. Not in something else, unless it was of the other side, and there were many whose faith was so exceedingly strong even before Christ came who could not be kept from within the veil but truly saw with their eyes the things which they had beheld with an eye of faith and they were glad. What is beholding something with an eye of faith? What is that? Well, has your faith reached the point where you can, I don't call it imagining it, I call it visioning it because it's a it's beyond imagination. It's something where it's actually a manifestation or a, a confirmation and you, you catch a good glimpse of it. And that is what I call, what I define as an eye, beholding with an eye of faith. When it's actually a manifestation and you know it and you saw it and you can believe in it and be glad that it was that and know that that is of God. Back to, to uh, Spencer. I kept thinking that my faith couldn't get any stronger. When we began healing people 100% of the time in Utah, I thought my faith was perfect. They had conquered all their iniquities. They were clean every whit of them. That would be a great thing to achieve. When we were directed to obtain every, our every need on the trail, I thought my faith was perfect and couldn't get any stronger. When we beheld the miracles that saved us along the trail, I thought my faith was perfect and couldn't get any stronger. When we saw the pillars of light and we covered our lost people because some of them teenagers were lost and taken by the gang, it was so strong that I did not see how it could get stronger. Yet every time a challenge or loss stripped us of something we needed, our faith grew stronger, still rendering that thing unnecessary. We didn't need to exercise faith in that again anymore because we moved beyond that point. And still I considered my faith as perfect and as great as 
as it could become, but I was mistaken in this assumption. So what faith would that be like? That would be approaching the faith of God, I would say. Becoming gods. Like Moses and Elijah. Elijah brought fire out of heaven. He stopped the, you know, he, he brought a drought, then he brought the rain. He raised the widow's child from the dead. He had faith that he could do all those things. Uh, Moses, you know, paved a, while, a way through the Red Sea so that the Israelites could go through on dry ground. Now, the God, the Baal God, the, uh, the Canaanite God, Baal, could do all those things. He was a storm god who could bring the rain or not bring the rain, could bring fire out of heaven, the lightning, and he was a god that conquered uh, sea and river, two false gods, the gods of chaos, and Moses did that through the Red Sea. Joshua did that, going through the River Jordan. So these were godlike attributes to the Canaanites. And here were these translated beings, and they did those things. So isn't that becoming godlike? Power over the elements? Yes. And how did, they, how did they get to that point? What was their backstory? Every one of these people has a backstory, a history, that got them to that point. Along with the protection from the pillars of light, we walked into the light of revelation. Nobody ever doubted again. Doubt that great enemy, or fear of that great enemy. Even our children received revelation as often as the, the adults. They spoke the words of Christ and prophesied. They changed at this time. They became a blessing to the camp instead of a burden. We still took care of them like children, but they had a purpose for being in the camp, and they fulfilled that purpose. They often sang in times of trial and threat, and their little voices sounded like angels and actually gave the adults greater faith and unity and terrified our enemies. When they heard the children singing like angels, they knew we had no fear and that they could not prevail. What a beautiful story that, that is. You think you'll ever participate in that? Why not? Right? Okay, exercising mighty faith. So there are degrees of faith, and some faith is called mighty faith or exceedingly great faith. And it's a certain category of faith that the sons of Messiah had, wherever great miracles were done or wrought. Alma 13. Those priests, speaking of those priests who had the high priesthood after the holy order of God, that priesthood. It's the priesthood of Abraham in which one received the promise of a numerous posterity, as numerous as the sands of the sea for multitude and of the stars of heaven. The order of his son, or the priesthood, or you know, the order of Melchizedek, has different names. Those priests, it's called the fullness of the priesthood by Joseph Smith, the spirit and power of Elijah in the priesthood. It's not just the Melchizedek priesthood that we have today. It's called the fullness of that priesthood. They were ordained after the order of his son. Now his son is in the similitude of us, remember? And we emulate him in all that he does. And what does he do? He atones for our transgressions, for this world's transgressions. For this world's transgressions. It doesn't say other worlds, anywhere in a manner that thereby the people might know in what manner to look forward to his son for redemption. 
Because what those priests do, did, they served as proxy saviors to other people. And in doing so, they established a pattern in which people could look forward to being to the proxy salvation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They were forerunners of Christ's coming as a proxy savior. And that's in the book of Isaiah, and you can read it in my book, Isaiah Decoded, where all the 144,000 become proxy saviors. And also there are lesser degrees of salvation where you act as proxy saviors for others. Not just in doing temple work, but in bringing people out of destruction in the end time, and securing their temporal salvation or their physical protection under the terms of the Davidic covenant, which you don't have time to go into here, but it was all about proxy salvation. And these priests were ordained in that manner so that people could look forward to the Son of God who wrought a similar salvation, a spiritual salvation, not just temporal salvation, as a proxy savior for others, for us, the entire inhabitants of the world. And in this manner after which, this is the manner in which they were ordained, being called and prepared from the foundation of the world according to the foreknowledge of God. Called and prepared. So they were foreordained for that calling when they came into mortality. From before the foundation of the world. When the Hebrew uses the word from, it means from before. And so it is here. From before the foundation of the world. And that's what Spencer also talks about. Those who had who are, who are members of the fellowship of the suffering of Christ. Those are all proxy saviors because they have to go through suffering to pay the price for these other people's temporal salvation, physical deliverance, when there's destruction going on all around and they have to bring them out. Like Moses brought out the Israelites or like the angels brought Lot out of Sodom or like Enoch delivered his people from their enemies. Those were all proxy saviors. And according to the foreknowledge of God, certain persons were called and prepared. And they're still arriving on the scene today. Because where are the 144,000 going to come from? Out of the Latter-day Saints, of course, because they're all high priests. They're not from the ten lost tribes. They're still in a lost and fallen state. Or the Jews. Or Lehi's descendants. In the first place, oh, because of their exceeding faith and good works. So they were exercising faith all through their progressions. In the first place, being left to choose good or evil, they therefore having chosen good and exercising exceedingly great faith. Not just ordinary faith. So I would imagine that they would have to complete some journey like we witnessed that Spencer's group did so that they could exercise that kind of faith. We're called with a holy calling Yea, with that holy calling which was prepared with and according to a preparatory redemption for such. A preparatory redemption for such. What is that? Well, because Christ's atonement redeems all mankind, by looking forward to that atonement, all those who came before Christ were also redeemed from the fall. So they were redeemed from the fall and they could become pure as he was through the effectiveness of the, of the atonement of Christ in their lives. And so they could become clean and sanctified 
so they could become saviors to others according to the order of the, the priesthood after the holy order of God. So all those who minister in that priesthood are proxy saviors on that spiritual level. And that is the level of the translated beings or the level of the 144,000 servants of God. So what Spencer sees is exactly what coheres with the scriptures. All the 144,000 are translated beings eventually. And thus they have been called to this holy calling. Now remember it is a calling and the calling doesn't, the choosing doesn't happen right after the calling, right? You have to exercise faith under those circumstances to that degree and then, then you are chosen. Many are called but few are chosen on account of their faith, which is exceedingly great faith, while others would reject the Spirit of God on account of the hardness of their hearts and blindness of their minds, while if it had not been for this, they might have had as great a privilege as their brethren. So there you have it again, the, the opposition, the juxtaposition, because they persisted in faith through their trials as Enoch's people did. Their enemies came upon them. The people of Sodom wanted to kill, you know, the angels and wanted to take care of Lot. No, they had to exercise faith to get out of there. Same with Egypt's armies. They wanted to, do, to recapture the Israelites or kill them, one or the other, and then God intervened and then you have destruction and deliverance simultaneously. It has to happen simultaneously. The great work of the last days is destruction on the one hand, it's called the great marvelous work, by definition all through the Book of Mormon, the greater marvelous destruction of the Nephites, the greater marvelous destruction of the land, so forth, and the great marvelous salvation or, or conversion of the Lamanites. Those are types and shadows of the end time. You're going to have the same thing again. You have, you're going to have the conversion of the entire house of Israel, the Jews, the ten tribes, and Lehi's descendants, by the 144,000 who go out and minister to them spiritually and then bring them out and deliver them physically while the rest of the world is being destroyed, the house of Israel is being delivered. And so it is always, this is the pattern always, these guys had tremendous opposition in accomplishing what they did. Sometimes it worked, and sometimes it didn't. Moses wanted to bring people to, into God's rest, but he did not succeed. Noah wanted to do that. He had the priesthood after the Holy Order of God. He did not succeed. Melchizedek succeeded admirably and that is why it is often called the priesthood after the holy order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a king over the land of Salem, and his people had waxed strong in iniquity and abominations. Well, how could they under him? Of course it was not under him. It was under his predecessor, no doubt. It wouldn't happen under his ministry. When he starts, you know, getting it together, he has to exercise mighty faith that he can make this change in his people. They had all gone astray. They were full of all manner of wickedness. But Melchizedek having exercised mighty faith, which, remember, is a process. You had to get to it. And he had to exercise mighty faith in the midst of opposition because you cannot never arrive at mighty faith or exceedingly great faith without opposition. So you can take that for granted as part of his backstory, of his history, to how we got to that point because that's the pattern all through the scriptures. And received the office of high priesthood according to the holy order of God. He received it then, Yes, at that point, when his faith was perfect, he received it. Not until then. And so can you. And so can all the 144,000 who all received that priesthood and did preach repentance to his people. Because when you reach that point, 
in time, as you look in the scriptures, you have the convincing power. It's called the convincing power. Look up those words in the scripture. The convincing power, is that, what, that is what translated beings have. You cannot deny them. You cannot deny what they're saying is true. You cannot deny the evidence. You can, you, you can fight it to your, to your demise, but you, you cannot deny it. He did preach repentance unto the people, and behold, they did repent, like the people of Enoch, because he was sent to seven nations that were a state of abominations and wickedness, just like Melchizedek. Except Melchizedek was king of the city, Salem, which later became Jerusalem in the days of King David. And they did repent, and Melchizedek did establish peace in the land in his days. Therefore he was called the Prince of Peace, and the servant in Isaiah 9 is called the Prince of Peace. And Moses, in Moses chapter 1, desires to become a Prince of Peace and does. Prince of Peace is not just an, an attribute of Christ. He is the King of Peace, you might say. There's a progression in Isaiah to becoming a Prince of Peace. For he was King of Salem, he did reign under his father. Now who was his father, you know? Noah, because Melchizedek was Shem, the great high priest, DNC 138. That's also a Jewish tradition, by the way. Now, there were many before him, so his father was apparently not king over Salem. His father was in northern Mesopotamia, or in Mesopotamia, as far as we know. Noah is settled there. So this people, whoever the king was before Melchizedek came along, must have just let things slide, right? King of Salem, Melchizedek now, it reigned under Noah. Now there were many before him, before Melchizedek, also there were many afterwards, but none were greater, because he succeeded, and therefore he became the great type. Therefore of him they have made particularly more mention, or particularly made mention, because of, because of the pattern that he established as a king of Salem. And all those who become kings and priests in the house of Israel should follow him as a pattern. He's the pattern. The whole basis of patriarchy is to be a proxy savior to your families. It's not unequal between the man and the woman. The woman gives herself to the man, but the man gives himself for her, to God, to, to pay any price for her protection, and for her deliverance, and that of his children. The whole basis of patriarchy rests in this proxy salvation idea. And we haven't even begun to conceive of all the things that we need to do to live up fully as kings and priests in the house of Israel. It's fine to be ordained a king and a priest, but it's all conditional. If you don't live up to what it is, then we're not. We're just not. With the faith comes the works. If you don't do the works, it doesn't exist. Jacob, we search the prophets, we have many revelations and the spirit of prophecy, and having all these witnesses, we obtain a hope and our faith becomes unshaken because it becomes so strong, we act on hope, we exercise faith in something not, in, not seen yet, but it's, we hope for it, we kind of see it with the eye of faith, and then boom, it happens and then becomes unshaken because we exercise faith, we saw the results, and now we know we can exercise faith to a greater degree, and that happens. That will happen too. 
in so much that we truly can command in the name of Jesus and the very trees of us or the mountains or the waves of the sea. That's where it all goes. Nevertheless, the Lord God shows us our weakness because that's also the key in the faith. Remember the humility and meekness? That we may know that it is by His grace and His great condescensions unto the children of men that we have power to do these things or anything. It's a gift from God. We don't do it. We can't take any credit for it. It's His acting through us when we, we put ourselves in a position that He can use us to do good. It's not about us even. Teaching of the Baba Joe Smith. We consider that God has created man with a mind. Oh, there we go again. I love the prophet Joseph Smith. He used his mind, didn't he? He wanted to know about everything, so he inquired. And he got the answers when he inquired. Do we inquire? Oh, sometimes. We consider God created man with a mind capable of instruction and a faculty which may be enlarged in proportion to the heat and diligence given to, to the light communicated from heaven to the intellect. So it comes from heaven, and we have to pay attention to it. And that the nearer man approaches perfection, the clearer are his views. Remember the analogy I gave you once before, where on lower worlds, lower glories, the vision becomes very narrow and, and single and interned upon itself. And the more you grow spiritually, or the higher levels you ascend to, the clearer the view becomes until you have God's view of the entire spectrum. So it is of spiritual things. You perceive, you perceive further than you did before. You perceive things that are further, greater truths, greater layers of truth. As you unlayer, there's another layer. And your vision becomes as broad as eternity eventually. And the greater his enjoyments because you love it. It's really fun. It is exhilarating and exciting. And when those things happen to you, when these things become your daily experience, it truly is a joy. And that's what Spencer tells, keeps telling us. Till he has overcome the evils of life and lost every desire for sin, and like the ancients, arrives at that point of faith where he is wrapped in the power and glory of his Maker and is caught up to dwell with him. Translation, right? The three Nephites were caught up to God. They came back because they still had a work to do. But eventually, they inherited all that the Father has. They inherited the kingdom of the Father. And still on the journey with Spencer, the, the Holy Spirit told us where to go and whom we could heal. And from then on, so not everybody could be healed? Um, no, some needed that suffering or affliction to help them in their progress. But this person over here, he had already made that progress, so he was ready to be healed. Simple as that. But the Spirit told them who? Who to heal or raise from the dead? Oh, so this guy had to give his life. Yes, he had to be willing to give his life in the cause of Christ, let's say. And now he was ready to be raised from the dead. How about that? That's cool. Or not. The one next to him may not have been raised from the dead because he had to go through another process. That was Every person's journey is particular to himself and totally you know, orchestrated for that person by God. It's, one is as different as the other. No words can describe the relief and joy we felt as we went from door to door. We were positive in our new gifts 
and our faith in Jesus Christ was profound. We knew we could, and we did. That's, I think, my favorite phrase in the entire book. We knew we could, and we did. Wow. Go, Spencer. Moses 7. Remember, Moses was bringing people up to the level of Zion so that God, the Lord, could then come and dwell in Zion, a type for our day. And so great was the faith of Enoch, there has to be a Latter-day Enoch. That's the servant in Isaiah and all through the prophets. There has to be a John the Baptist to prepare the way. In this day of Christ's coming, not time of Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith laid the foundation for it all. And that's what the great and marvelous work is called by definition in the Book of Mormon. The, the beginning, the commencement, or the foundation. Not the great and marvelous work itself, which is the restoration of the house of Israel. The Jews, the ten tribes, and Lehi's descendants, by definition. Search the Book of Mormon and figure out what's a precept of men and what is not. And their enemies came to battle against them. Of course the enemies are going to come and battle against you. Expect it. Persecution, remember? The people who had great faith. Their enemies persecuted them. Their enemies were swallowed up in pride. They thought they were so right and they were so wrong. Came against them to battle. He spake the word of the Lord and the earth trembled and the mountains fled because he had power over the elements. Even according to his command, he could say it and it happened. And he had that kind of faith. And the rivers of water were turned out of their course and the roar of the lions was heard out of the wilderness. And all nations feared greatly. So powerful was the word of Enoch and so great was the power of the language which God had given him. Again, a gift from God. Enoch had no pretensions about that. Now the brother Jared, I know that thou workest unto the children of men according to their faith. This is Moroni again. Faith, faith, faith. What is Moroni telling the Gentiles to whom he's writing? Because he addresses the Gentiles so much. Just in the middle of this story of the Jaredites and then the destruction of the Nephites, you know, and now the destruction of what? What are those two types of? The destruction of the Gentiles, the end-time Gentiles, of course. And Moroni knows that. He's seen our day, and he's warning us. And why are we going to be destroyed? Aren't we doing good? Apparently not enough. So he warns us. Thou workest unto the children of men according to their faith, for the brother of Jared said unto the Mount Zeran, Remove, and it was removed. And if he had not had faith, it would not have moved, Wherefore thou workest after men, have faith. For thus thou didst manifest thyself unto thy disciples, for after they had faith and did speak in thy name, thou didst show thyself unto them in great power. Now, why does he interject the story of the Jaredites and their ultimate demise with these things, with these interjections to the, speaking to the Gentiles? And why does Nephi, when he's telling the story, of their exodus out of Jerusalem interject the story with this, that, and the other thing. Isaiah quotes and so forth. And Laman and Lemuel's rebellions and so forth. Because these are all types for our day. At the same time that these destructions can happen, are going to happen because of the general apostasy of God's people, there will be those among them who have these miracles to do and will need to do them to deliver the righteous 
house of Israel out of the destruction. Again, go to Spencer in Visions of Glory and you see how it's acted out. When he sees the, the president of the church and the apostle, his friend, praying with all of their hearts in great outpourings of faith, and then he immediately, in, in that same context, sees the satanic cult of the people in Tahiti, probably all through Polynesia at that time, what is that telling you? It tells you that when the one reaches that level, so does the other. The evil is going to reach that level of satanic cult, and at the same time, the righteousness of the righteous has to rise above that and meet that kind of opposition. Didn't that happen in Joseph Smith's day? Who was that mob that killed him? Former members of the church who went all the way into apostasy. Did they have their secret passwords? I'm sure they did. Second Nephi 3. So here it is. There shall rise up one mighty among them who shall do much good both in word and in deed, being an instrument in the hands of God, as all these proxy saviors are, just instruments in the hands of God, with exceeding great faith, or exceeding faith, to work mighty wonders, miracles, and do that thing which is great in the sight of God, unto the bringing to pass much the res restoration unto the house of Israel and unto the seed of thy brethren. In other words, to the Nephites, to the house of Israel, the Jews by definition, the ten tribes and Lehi's descendants of the end time. So this is not, this particular piece of this prophecy is not talking about Joseph Smith like the other one was, the first part is. This is an end time scenario as the greater marvelous work is. It's part of an end time scenario. The fruits of faith. Whoso shall ask it in my name, in faith, they shall, be, they shall cast out devils. Well, we don't talk about devils today. Well, why not? They're all over the place, aren't they? What's causing so many people to commit a suicide, for example? Some little voice telling them? Is that the Lord or who? They shall heal the sick, they shall cause the blind to receive their sight, the deaf to hear, the dumb to speak, the lame to walk. And the time speedily cometh that great things are to be shown forth unto the children of men. But without faith shall not anything be shown forth except desolations upon, the ba upon Babylon, the same which has made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So that does not come. That hasn't come yet. Babylon has not, not yet fallen. And so you know that these great things that are to be shown forth, the things he's talking about, casting out devils, healing the sick, the blind to receive their sight, the deaf to hear, and so forth, are going to come in our day. And who's going to do them? Well, some have to measure up and do them, right? Otherwise, they will not happen. Uh, sisters, too. Ah, uh, yes. Expecting females administering for the healing of the sick. Joseph further remarked, there could be no evil in it if God gave a sanction by healing, that there could be no more sin in any female laying hands on and praying for the sick than in wetting the face with water. There is no sin for anybody to administer it that has faith, or if the sick have faith to be healed by their administration. President Smith then gave instructions respecting the propriety of females administering by, to the sick by the prayer of faith, the laying on of hands, or the anointing with oil. He said it was according to Revelation that the sick should be nursed with herbs and mild food, not by the hand of an enemy. Who are better qualified to administer than our faithful and zealous sisters whose hearts are full of faith, tenderness, sympathy, and compassion? There you go, sisters. Did you know that? You don't have to take a back seat. You know, 
part of the establishment of Zion, the sisters, is the sisters coming forth and fulfilling their roles. I haven't seen it yet, but their roles are equal to the men. They have to get going to make it happen. The men are not going to do it, sisters, without you. They're not. They're just sitting back waiting for something and they don't know what. Seer stones, they're coming too. Spencer saw that in his vision. A seer can know of things which are past, also things which are to come, and by them shall all things be revealed, or rather, shall secret things be made manifest, and hidden things shall come to light, and things which are not known shall be made known by them. Well, that's going to be awkward for some people, isn't it? Yes, it is. And also things shall be made known by them which otherwise could not be known. Thus God has provided a means that man through faith might work mighty miracles, therefore he becometh a great benefit to his fellow beings. That's coming too. Ether 4. We've quoted this before in a previous lecture, and here is it again. It's a promise to us Gentiles concerning the brother of Jared was a Gentile. Speaking to us, the sentence of Ephraim that have come through the Gentiles. In that day, that they shall exercise faith in me, said the Lord, even as the brother of Jared did. Remember, he commanded the elements too, right? That they may become sanctified in me, go through the whole sanctification and perfection process, then will I manifest unto them the things which the brother of Jared saw. What did he see? Well, first of all, he saw the Lord, right? Even unto the unfolding unto them of all my revelations, because he saw the end from the beginning. The Lord showed it to him. Says Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Father of the heavens and the earth and all things that in them are. Why such a long titulary? Because God is putting all his authority behind it. It's a promise to us. Behold, I, Jacob, would speak unto you that are pure in heart. <clears throat> Remember that we have to become pure before him, otherwise none of this works. Look unto God with firmness of mind, without fainting, without getting distracted. Pray unto him with exceeding great faith, or faith, and he will console in you in all your afflictions, as he did the others before us, and he will plead your cause and send down justice upon those who seek your destruction, but they have to act out their act. You know, they have to play out their act so that they can come into condemnation and then he can destroy them. While you, on the other hand, are benefiting from their opposition. O oh, all ye that are pure in heart, lift up your heads and receive the pleasing word of God and feast upon his love. For ye, if you may, for ye may, if your minds are firm forever, feast upon his love. Example from Isaiah, speaking of the end time, our city, which is the city of Zion, or the stakes of Zion, our city is strong, salvation he has set up as walls and barricades. Nobody's going to penetrate there because of our faith. Open the gates, let in the nation righteous because it keeps faith. That's where Spencer's group comes in. When they come to Zion, they open the gates and let them in. Righteous because it keeps faith. Those whose minds are steadfast, O Jehovah, you preserve in perfect peace, for in you they are secure. Ever trust in Jehovah, for Jehovah Yah, or Jehovah's abbreviation, for Jehovah is an everlasting rock. You can depend upon him, always. In the God of my salvation I will trust without fear, for Jehovah was my strength and my song when he became my salvation. Then shall you rejoice in the wrong water from the fountains of salvation after you've made the journey. Abiding in Christ. What does abiding in Christ mean? It means that He's in you and you are in him, somehow, spiritually, 
He's your head, he's your heart, he's your mind, he's your consciousness. You're him, so to speak. You're an extension of him. And if you will, if you will exercise that state of mind and heart, then it actually becomes a reality. Over time, you just think of it, and there you are, in it. It's a state or condition that you can be in. And suddenly you catch yourself, you'd be distracted by this and that. Oh, I've got to abide in Christ. Boom, there you are, back in, in perfect control, perfect balance. That's what abiding in Christ is like. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abide in the vine, no more can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Think of yourself as an extension of Christ. He who abides in me and I in him, the same will bring forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If a man doesn't abide in me, he's cast forth as a branch that is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire to be burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, because Christ is the word, the law, the truth, the light, the life, he's all those things, and when he abides in you, you are all those things. You personify those things too, to the degree that you abide in him. You have a spirit always to be with you. You may ask what you will, and it shall be done for you. Behold, my spirit is upon you, wherefore all thy words will I justify, and the mountains shall flee before you, and the rivers shall turn from their course. This is the Lord speaking to, to uh, Enoch. And thou shalt abide in me, and I in you, therefore walk with me. When you walk with God, it's, you're abiding in him. Or when you abide in him, you're walking with him. Same thing. John 16. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So if you abide in Christ, then with him you overcome the world, right? He's overcome the world, well, so what? That's not me. Yes, it is, it can be you. If you abide in him, then you overcome the world in him and through him and with him. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like a formula, kind of like a, a technique. Whatsoever is born of God, that is, if you abide in him, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Because it requires faith in him to abide in him. He who, is, who is he that overcomes the world, but he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And all that goes with it. Oh, well, I believe that he is. I'm a born-again believer. Yes, but you're not living what he, you know, what he is and what he, what he represents. So you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Then live up to all that, that, that he stands for. DNC 63, 20. He that endureth in faith and doeth my will, so there's enduring in faith, huh? And doeth my will in faith, the same shall overcome and shall receive an inheritance upon the earth when the day of transfiguration shall come. The transfiguration of the earth, the transfiguration of God's people to a Zion level, and the transfiguration of individuals. In Isaiah, all three go hand in hand. What happens to a person, happens to the people of God, happens to the earth as a whole. To he who overcomes will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am sat down with my father on his throne. So he too had to overcome the same as we do, going from grace to grace and so forth, to get to where he was. This is our last scripture.
Again, we bear record. This is speaking of celestial people, the celestial glory, or those who abide on the celestial level. We spoke of just men made perfect. In other words, the elect of God. Calling an election made sure. Election made sure means you are the elect of God, which is a celestial category. And again, we bear record for we saw and heard. That always works best when you see and hear that this is the testimony of the gospel of Christ concerning them who shall come forth in the resurrection of the just. They are they who receive the testimony of Jesus, yes, believed on his name, yes, were baptized after the manner of his burial, yes, being buried in the, wa in the water in his name, amen, and thus, this according to the commandment which he has given, that by keeping the commandment that they might be washed and cleansed from all their sins, yes, that is receiving a remission of their sins, right? And receive the Holy Ghost or the Spirit by the laying on of hands who, of him who is ordained and sealed into this power, so the proper authority through the Church of God on the earth today, and he and who overcome by faith and are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Now that is, a, is the next step. That is when you overcome or uh, expiate all of your iniquities. That is not just salvation of becoming, receiving remission of your sins, but also becoming clean of your generational dysfunctions, your iniquities. Then you are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, and not until then. Look it up in the scriptures, Holy Spirit of promise, which the Father sheds forth upon all those who are just and true. It has to do with the Father, the Father's kingdom. They are they who are the church of the firstborn, the elect of God. They are they who into, into whose hands the Father has given all things, and inherit all that the Father has. They are they who are priests and kings, who have received of his fullness, of his glory, the fullness of the Melchizedek priesthood. They are priests of the Most High God. That is the highest glory, not the next glory, nor the one below that. After the order of Melchizedek, which was after the order of Enoch, which was after the order of the only begotten Son. See? We're talking about t translated beings again, on this level. So, yes, they are all part of the celestial glory, but there are steps within the celestial glory also. Isaiah divides them into sons and daughters of the Most High God and seraphim, or translated beings. Wherefore, it is written, as it is written, they are gods, even the sons of God. Wherefore, all things are theirs, whether life or death, things present, things to come, all are theirs, and they are Christ, and Christ is God's. And they shall overcome all things, because they have power over things, Wherefore, let no man glory in man, not about that, but rather let him glory in God, who shall subdue all his enemies under his feet. These shall dwell in the presence of God and his Christ forever and ever. This concludes Lecture 18, Exercising Faith in God. Be sure to visit IsaiahExplained.com as well as IsaiahInstitute.com to learn more about Isaiah with Dr. Avraham Giliadi.